Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the podcast that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. Except that we're not doing any of that this episode. This is a very special episode. Uh, Not very special like when that bike shop owner almost molested Arnold on different strokes, but still very special. In this episode, we're going to get the executive side of the story. You know, since we deal in pilots that didn't go forward, it'd be easy for this show to make the network executives the villains. I don't think we actually do that a lot. Most of the writers we interview are seasoned veterans, and they know how the system works, that not every pilot can move forward. You know, they may be frustrated, but I haven't encountered a lot of vilifying of executives. But still, I think there is room for some more empathy between writers and executives. That's one of the impetuses. Impetai? Um, uh, for this episode. Another is that I just had a lot of very specific questions about pitching and the pilot development process that I've never gotten to directly ask an executive. And in this case, it's an executive who's not running a comedy department uh, at the moment, uh, so she could be pretty honest. So let me tell you about my guest. My guest is Jamila Hunter. Jamila Hunter was most recently president of Kenya Barris's Netflix-based production company, Before that, she served as Senior Vice President of ABC Comedy, and under her leadership, ABC successfully launched the highly rated reboot of Roseanne, as well as The Connors and Splitting Up Together. Uh, Before she was Senior VP, Jamila was Vice President of ABC Comedy for five years, where she worked on projects ranging from Blackish to Fresh Off the Boat to Last Man Standing. And prior to that, she worked her way up the executive ranks through various development roles in comedy, alternative and digital programming, NBC, Bravo, the Oprah Winfrey Network, and 20th Century Fox Television. Jamila is someone I like and respect a lot, and I came away from our conversation with a better appreciation of just how hard that network comedy job is. She couldn't remember the exact stats when we were uh, talking on the mic, but she emailed them to me later. For the 2017 to 2018 season, ABC Comedy heard 264 pitches and received 72 spec scripts. So that's a total of 331 total pilot ideas submitted. They ended up developing 45 projects that year. So if you're keeping track, that's about 13.5% of the things that were submitted. So I think there's a lot of valuable information uh, in this interview for writers who are trying to sell their ideas. You know, and I know the broadcast model is fading, but I think a lot of this Uh, pertains to cable and streaming too. And if you're not a writer, but you're just a fan of television or of Dead Pilot Society, I think it's useful to get a better understanding that the executives aren't these faceless evil buzzkills, but they're people trying really hard to get writers' visions on the air and working in a very flawed system. So this is a lot of fun to do. Uh, Here's my conversation with Jamila Hunter after a brief message. Hi, I'm Dave Hill from Show Business. And while I'm not from Canada, my grandfather Clarence Vincent Blake Sr. was, and he wouldn't shut up about it. My grandfather moved on to that great penalty box in the sky way back in the 80s. Still, all these years later, I can't help but wonder, what do we really know about Canada and its people? Which is why my friend Chris Gersbeck and I decided to make So, You're Canadian. Brand new podcast from the Maximum Fun Network, on which I attempt to get to know our neighbors to the north, one Canadian at a time. 
coming to Maximum Fun, August 27th. And I'm not sorry. Jamila Hunter, thank you for doing this. Hi, Andrew. It's so nice to be doing this, like, so much less pressure than if I was pitching to you. <laughs> yes, for sure. Thanks for having me. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so, so many questions that, uh, let's start with basics. So, it's pitching season. You're at ABC. Mm-hmm. You're running comedy at ABC. Over the course of that season, give me an estimate of how many pitches you would hear. You know, that's a question I generally used to have the number really teed up because we do a count every year. I feel like it's somewhere in the area of 250. 250. I think. So that's over the course of how many months? So you start hearing these in what, June? Mm, it's probably more like August, actually. Oh, not till August. Okay, so from August and then you're done by what, October? October, it ekes into November, the later people get stuff in. So three And not saying things don't trickle in in July, but I feel like after 4th of July, it gets a little bit more, like, focused. Okay. So, so July, to, so about three, three and a half months, you're hearing around 250 pitches. I think so. And honestly, I'm going to, ch- I have the number somewhere. I am going to check and get it back to you. Okay. Because right. it you might be more than that. Intro, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, I will. You think I'll it might that. be more. I think, think it might be more. Address. So... Of those 250, you would be buying how many about? Depending on the year, I would say anywhere from 40 to 60. Okay. And then of those 40 to 60, you're shooting? 10. 10. 8 to 12, right. basically, somewhere yeah. right. in there. Low end 8, high end 12. Okay. So, so I'm sure someone could do the math of how many that is a day. but what, It's a lot of pitches. It's a lot of pitches. So what, you're hearing maybe 8 a day? around there at the height of the season there are definitely days where you're hearing like a pitch every hour from like nine to six and there might be two rooms going i think at abc we sometimes split up i think other networks they all heard every pitch together and i don't know how they possibly heard everything um so yeah easily you could hear like six day to day for sure okay so what would you say you're primarily listening for when you hear those pitches can you put your finger on one sure. element? It should be funny. Okay. Which seems super obvious. But I'm always I was curious how important where funny lands on that list of top things, but it's interesting that it's the first thing that It you is use. the first thing I say, and it's the first thing I say because everyone just assumes or not assumes, I don't know what people think. <laughs> Actually, because when people come in and if you're like very well researched and really well prepared and it's like you the click there's no clarity around where the humor comes from like I work in the comedy department let alone there are for sure people that are very charming and entertaining that are not remotely prepared that will sell a pitch in the room because they entertained people a hundred percent I'm not proud of that but it a hundred percent makes a difference and I actually remember talking to some people in the UK one year about like our pitch system you know the UK development is very different they commission and you know it's very different and I was explaining it to them and I was saying how sometimes it's hard because I worked at a studio also when I worked at 20th because you might have an amazing writer who's just not a great pitcher and you have some people that are great pitchers but not actually great executors but they're going to sell every year because in the room it's kind of a performance and this particular um producer said to me well why don't you just hire actors to do your pitches and i was like oh that actually might make more sense than like torturing writers who that's not their natural inclination to like do this like 45 minute show yeah um so that is my long-winded way of saying there's a million things that are actually important but the pitches that i remember the most were the ones that were the funniest so when because i sold a show 
that I supervised with three actors writing. Right. And I just said, I was like, you, I'm not going to do anything. You get it. So, so you, you probably heard pitches from actor writers. So what you are saying is the performers have a leg up in, in pitching. They, they do. They for sure do. I mean, when I was on the studio side, you know, you have a pitch and let's say there's a particular one I remember that Will Smith was executive producing. You're going to sell that. Like, <laughs> You just are like Will Smith's in the room. He was He's going to be. He was in the room. Well, we made sure of it, right? Because right? we're sellers. And then I remember at the point when the script comes in, the executive who was at Fox was like, "It just isn't as magical." I'm like, "Because Will Smith <laughs> is not actually here." And again, when I was selling, you know, it was like kind of by not by any means necessary. Obviously, you want to show that it has legs, and you hope it does. But if you can stack the room with people that are entertaining and funny. Obviously, if you're both great, um, but it definitely makes a huge difference if you're super dry and straightforward and not entertaining. Again, that executive is hearing pitches all day long, back to back. Are they going to remember that person who really made them laugh, or are they going to remember that person who had a very clear log line? Like the things that I have to go then pitch up to, whether that was my boss or the president of the network, I'm going to them. They have five minutes. Like if I have to convince them that they should buy this pitch, I have to have an elevator pitch for them and be entertaining. Does that make sense? It does make sense. But that sounds like, you know, a great log line. You know, so, so Will Smith, when you're pitching up to your boss, you don't have Will Smith. No. Right? So the magic of Will Smith being in the room goes away once you have to then right. be selling it. Get it up and, the and ladder. Yet it's, but yet that sort of seems to still cancel that out. Um, well, look, if Will Smith's there, the president's there. Okay. So, so you're that's done. true. Right. So there's, again, and we're talking, that's more like on the studio producing side strategy of like who's in the room. Or again, if you're with actors, who do you make sure is in the room? I'm sure when you pitch with Warner Brothers or whatever studio, right. there's that strategy. Um, but I think that I remember um, Paul Lee, who was president while I was there, one day said, he goes, you always have those notebooks. And I go, Paul, we're taking notes. <laughs> like, whatever, <laughs> they're not for show. Yeah. <laughs> but legitimately, we would get together the end of the day and talk through all the pitches. And we as executives have to be able to sell your show to our, at least the way we worked at ABC, to our team, because everybody didn't necessarily hear the pitch. And if Paul wasn't in it, we needed to be able to sell it up to him. So being able to you know, be succinct about the concept, but also be really clear what the comedic point of view was, are the things we're listening for. Right, so essentially, so I think it's something, I mean, writers are probably not thinking about, because I'm realizing I'm not thinking this, that when I'm pitching to you, you're listening, how am I then going to succinctly pitch this upstairs, right? When we're yeah. writing, I mean, everyone's different in terms of what they're writing in their notebooks. I'd be curious to know. Yeah. I should get everyone's notebooks. I um, so I definitely would write certain information. I Writing helps me remember things, but the things I would really take note of are very specific character traits or, again, something that was memorable or really funny because the broad strokes you're going to remember. Right. If it's the premise. The premise you're going to remember, those sorts of things. But if there's something really unique about that character, then I'm going to want to pitch that later to be like, oh, my God, they have this hilarious friend who blah, blah, blah. It's the things that are um, unique or distinctive. Right. If that and again, makes sense. those are probably the things that are funniest. You're excited to pitch right. like some really funny. You haven't heard this before. This really right. stood out of the clutter. Okay. So comedy is job one in the pitch, um, and even to the extent 
uh, hiring that, actors. I'm just kidding. That, totally that, kidding. that it can <laughs> it can probably overcome some other weaknesses. That if it's if if, it's if the writer enough, is an amazing writer and everyone knows their material, there are definitely those writers that everybody you know knows like pitching's not their thing, but that pen to paper they're they're going to deliver. Um, so you're you're going, which is probably the better way to do our business, quite frankly. But so the, you know those pitches, you're in, you're going. I know this person delivers. They're not necessarily a great pitcher, right. but I know their material. You can forgive some wooden delivery if you know the, right. their work. So um, how about how much does it matter whether someone is reading off of a page versus like being off book and being able to just you know make eye contact and not be looking down and reading their pitch. I think having pages or notes is not bad. I think if having the pages or notes means you're literally reading and looking down the whole time and not making eye contact and not being an engaging presenter, then I think it's a problem. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So I don't think it's like you have to be off book, but I think you they it should be a crib sheet. Like it shouldn't be a I'm literally cuz then just email me the pages and I'll read them. Right. Like why sit there and torture yourself? Yeah. Okay, so Funny number one, what, you know, it sounds like a great character or thing. How about um, something, the theme or something being sort of zeitgeisty or matching up with something that you guys talked about that you're looking for in your retreat? Like, how, right. you know, where do those kinds of things fall in terms of importance when you're listening to these things? Definitely feeling the show having a reason for being, at least when I was at ABC, was very important to us and our brand. I don't think everybody buys along those tenants necessarily, um, but having a point of view and having something that felt relevant and timely was something that was very important to us when we listened to pitches. That if it felt like, you know, we're just 20-somethings trying to get a girl, that just felt like, how are you going to make noise with that? How does that feel like it's actually socially relevant? And granted, it's not our jobs to be sociologists, but on the other hand, I think in the some of the best entertainment, you see it's reflecting our society and hopefully advancing it also while entertaining and making people laugh. So I think the shows that we did when I was at ABC, whether that's Fresh Off the Boat or Blackish or Predating Me, The Middle or Modern Family, reflect that want to really reflect our society and have something to say about it through being entertaining. So that was something that we very much listened for. Um, Definitely things that we've talked about our retreats. If you're going, we really want to do blended families or, you know, again, we did a lot of family shows at the time, but there's always something that comes in that you were never looking for and that you go, because when we bought Work It from you guys, I don't know if I'm allowed to reference these, like nobody was like going, yeah. we're looking no, for, for this. No, definitely not. But yeah. it was really funny. You guys were very thoughtful. <laughs> you had a really interesting analysis of like our society and what was going on with men and women. And all of us were like, huh, we... Really, I think yeah. we're surprised that we actually. Well, you're laughing, yeah. but no, you know no, it's your show. Like, no, I know. Uh, so no, I think there just, for sure the things you're listening for, and then there are the things that just, just you hear it and you're like, oh right, it resonates with you. And I do think having some sense of um, reflecting the world in a way that feels distinctive is what's the fun part about hearing pitches. Right. How about um, autobiographical elements? How important is that and do you I mean, let's start with how important is that that some that a pitch have some you know autobiographical you know I think it really helps to have some reason you're telling that story 
So that if you're coming in saying, I want to do a show about frogs, and, and you have no personal connection to it at all, even if you didn't live it, that you have some reason to tell it, I think that matters just because it gives you a sense that this person really has a passion and a vision for this subject. If it feels like um, commerce, you know, right. like it's, I call them um, like paint by number shows. Like everybody wants this this year, so I'm buying that. I just have never experienced things like that go in the distance. So that isn't to say they don't get bought or that isn't to say there's not, it's impossible to sell it. But I think somewhere in the pitch, talking about your personal connection to the subject is important. So do you see through it when writers try and make things seem like they're autobiographical when they're really not? For sure. Oh, for sure. It's it's obvious. Yeah. It's as obvious as we worry that it is. <laughs> so it sounds like it's more passion, and that passion could be coming from, oh, this is my story of my life, my family, whatever, or it could be it's my passion to tell a story, this science fiction thing or whatever it is. Right. I just feel passionate yes. about. Yes, I would, even, if it's not personal, be what's clear about your Because, by the way, knock on wood, it works. This is going to be your life for, you know, who knows how long. So what is it that makes you want to tell that story is what I think people are listening for. Right. And do you like to hear the pilot story when you're hearing the pitch or does that not matter? I think it helps to have, I don't think you have to go beat for beat through the pilot, but I think like a quick summary of what you see the pilot story as being is useful and as you've experienced sometimes you stick with that pilot story sometimes you don't that's why I said I don't think anyone expects you to go into it in huge detail but giving some sense of sort of what the um, inciting incident is or just how the series kicks off I do think is helpful because it gives you sort of a location for like okay what is the sort of thrust of the series at least what's our reason for starting off right and how about if it just sounds like that's an amazing pilot episode how clear does it have to be what season four is going to be? Season four? Who knows, Andrew? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Season four. I don't think it has to be that clear. I mean, I remember working at 20th and Lynn Berry covered How I Met Your Mother. And I, I'm like, Lynn, did they know where they wanted it? I think they had an idea, right. but I don't believe they pitched it all the way. And you find it as the series goes. So I think probably different from drama where they're more serialized or there's certain things... Um, it's more about giving some examples of the types of stories you'd want to tell than it is going, oh, here's the full like narrative thrust of character arcs, especially in the pitch. Right. You want to have some sense that there's something beyond, that it's not a movie. That yes, that there's some drivers for story going forward. Right. Um, but I also think, again, for me, point of view is so important in comedy that if your characters are really clear then you should be able to know like, okay, if this person's in the grocery store, that's why that's gonna be different from X person, even as a story. And some of the best sitcoms aren't like hugely plot driven. They're character and point of view driven. So if you set up really interesting characters in your pitch and then you say, here are the sort of experiences I wanna put them in, it should be clear like, oh right, there's some fun things to do with these characters. Does that make sense? It does make sense, yeah. And then I guess the, you know, the the trick always pitching is if you have something that's low concept and that is really right. based on these characters is conveying those characters you know, in this format of right. pitching conveying those characters especially if you're not an actor and a performer who can just in that room in suddenly inhabit a bunch right. of different characters and act it out for you um how you do convey 
these characters are going to be so unique and, right. and, and great. Like, how have you, do you remember examples of people doing that really well um, who weren't actors? Just making yeah, the characters. Yeah, and I, I probably shouldn't do this. Can I reference a, an interview you're going to do? Yeah, Can sure. I not? Yeah. No, because I think Sami Falvi talks very like specifically about when David Cast pitched Happy Endings, which, you know, is a friend's ensemble. I mean, it had a bit of a high concept in terms of The One Way Bride, but um, it predated my time at ABC, but she really talks about how they hear any number of like 20 something ensembles. But David came in and was so specific about his friends and the characters and what he wanted to do that it stood out from the rest. Um, so I'm sure I've heard some. That one's just coming to mind because I remember watching the pilot and at the end of it, there's like a scene where they're all in the diner and they're talking about how hard it is to make friends in your 30s. And I was like, it is, right? Like You better just stick with who you have. Um, but that like that specific genre is really hard. Like to, I think that's why that show is still talked about of like, when is it coming back? Because finding a group of actors that have that kind of chemistry that character specificity and that you actually want to like bring into your house every day is really really hard yeah i mean it's the thing i you know having worked, worked on, on friends, friends people are right. like where's the next you know give us I'm just there's so much light can you believe how many people still watch friends like that young yes. people are growing up with those characters i know someone was just talking about how long the line was on uh, robertson because they made coffee bean into a central oh they did like you wouldn't believe how long this and it was like, like young kids i is, bet yeah, and it, it's it's insane um, insane but awesome i think yeah. when you hit it it's timeless yes. and it's a combination but of it's like the hardest thing to do and it is harder now with the number of shows that are on and how spread thin the, the acting pool is, pool is right. to get a cast where everyone is just can kill you right. know which friends was which happy endings was you know that you have every every person in that cast is great right and you know that's just really hard to do the writing can be fantastic but if you don't have those people right. who are so compelling um so did you ever buy these are all the i'm giving you all the paranoid things that, that writers think oh, no. do you ever buy defensively do you ever is there ever something where it's like you know another network was bidding and you don't and you sort of want to want to have it do you mean do you ever buy sort of those kind of strategic reasons when you mean defensively, like, do I want it or you just, I just don't want them to have it? You just it. don't want that. <laughs> no, I have not done that <laughs> out of pure spite. <laughs> no, I haven't done that. Look, definitely there are things that if it hadn't been bought already, I would have maybe thought harder about. But because I knew somebody else bought it, I was like, well, I got to buy it too. Right. But I always liked it. There always was something so about it that like. I liked. But that does affect your thinking. If you're they're For coming sure. in, we already have bids from... Yeah, that's why everyone does those calls. I already right. have a buyer, so you're like, yeah. you know, jacked it's, up to be right. competitive it about comes, it. You're already thinking, oh, this must be pretty good. Somebody already wants it. Yeah. Yes. So I feel like that is more. How about, on. like, how important, obviously we talked about Will Smith being in the room and there are certain, you know, auspices like that. You know, are there other times where the the pod or the attachment or whatever, those are really how important are those? Like, can that put a pitch that you might have been lukewarm on over the top because it's a director or some other element like that that you want to be in business with? Um, yes. But you have to, like, believe in the writer and believe in the pitch. Like, I don't... We didn't buy anything if it was like, oh, we love that director, but that idea... Like, 
to your point even about getting all the pieces aligned, um, I think having a great director for sure helps. Um, and not that we have to get into this, but when it gets into penalties and, you know, like all right. packaging, I feel like that's a little bit more where those sorts of what are the different elements come into play that can drive the cost up. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to believe that writer has a vision for the show. Right. Um, and the non-writing producers, look, it matters in terms of there are producers out there that are amazing um, at getting that talent that you're going to need. As you said, in a marketplace that is incredibly competitive with so many people making shows, you know that Aaron Kaplan is going to figure out how to get that actor that everybody wants that pilot season. So there are for sure producers that you know are going to be like just not another layer of notes, but people that are actually going to, again, add value to making this project reach its full potential in an environment that's gotten increasingly difficult to get all of those elements together. So it really does... It helps to walk in with someone like Aaron Kaplan. It, it I believe we're talking. Hi, Aaron. I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> Tell me, guys, shout out. I think if you're bringing, if you're working with a like non-writing producer, being really clear about what the role of that producer is, is something that I've like. Jamie Tarses, I think, is amazing. Like, there are people for sure. John Davis, who I work with a lot. Um, but again, those are people that are like not about going on, oh, just giving more notes. They're really about really getting out there and making sure you have the right directors, have the right talent, are getting the marketing campaign you need. Like they're doing the job of the producer to garner as much of the resources that you need to help this product stand out. So I think there are those people that when they come in the door, you know that they're gonna be like hustling. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you would, even though at ABC you had those two rooms, you were able to buy things in the room when you were running mm -hmm. the, you know. Um, did at what point would it normally uh would you ever know even before you know you've heard the idea you know the writer would you kind of be teed up like i'm probably gonna buy this in the room or is there a certain point where it would click in you know because i've been in those rooms where it doesn't seem like the people in that room are like conferring or anything it was just, the person <laughs> your was just saying like okay we're in we're, we're, in. we're right. buying um, I mean, how, you didn't how, see the so, wink. No, I'm just yeah, I know. Was there some, the pencil right? drop <laughs> yeah those notebooks somehow <laughs> wired together that you're taking notes of how um, a couple different ways you definitely look before you even get into pitch season whenever you hear about networks being like at retreats and all of that like you're combing through writers list you know the writers that you want to be in business with you're tracking with the studios who's doing what what ideas do they have you're looking at what your needs are you're already like have lists of studios and who's doing family shows, who's doing workplace and what do you think is going to be competitive? So like, believe it or not, when there's a lot of thinking that goes into looking at the landscape and what you think is going to come in um, and strategizing about where you think you're going to need to be aggressive. Um, so are you predisposed? Definitely. In terms of if there's again that person that you really want to work with, um, or that you worked with before and want to do it again, or, what, or there's a concept that you love. So before things come in, you, we've definitely talked about it and either been like, we know we want a family show and we know Reich and Cohen do those well. So if they don't come in and like myth it, you're probably going to sell it. Um, your showrunners, you know, like there's so, certain things that going into the room, people are going to be predisposed to buy. I think if you're a totally new face, 
you're like a blank slate, then they probably don't have some sense of like, are we going for this or not? But again, by the time your pitch comes in, the studio's cleared it, maybe your agent is called, we know whether it's sold or not. So you kind of have a lot of information before you even get in the room. Right. If that makes sense. But that junior writer, you know, who's, who's more of an unknown quantity, it seems like it's more likely that what's going to happen there is you're going to say, Let Those us are more talk likely to be a discussion. It. Right. Yeah. So when you say, let us talk about it, that, you know, I think a lot of writers feel like, ugh. Like, it's defeat. It, it's, it's defeat. Um, but it's not always. Obviously. It's not always. And it's always... Um, like when I said earlier that again, every network has their own process. I know again for ours, we would usually talk about it as a team um, and sort of pitch each other. But um, we definitely, even before I was a department head, had the ability to buy in the room when I worked for Sami. She's like, look, if you love it, buy it. You talk about it, you figure out how much you want to spend on it. So there's other ways to kind of you know hedge your risk. If that's one way to put it. Right. If you're feeling some regret about that decision, you can always put in a very low ball offer. And I will not comment it. on that. <laughs> I'm just saying if you're in the room and you really feel it, you buy it. And then later you go back and you're like, oh, you don't have to go in like. Guns blazing. Yes. Yeah. So, but I do think that um, there's also, there's always that pitch that comes in from a writer you didn't know that was a new play. And you're like, oh, wow, that really pleasantly surprised me. Let me talk to the team and like make sure I look at their material again. And it's more you're doing your research, right. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Not doing your research. Hopefully you've read their material before they came in. Um, but I do think there's usually some sort of a discussion process if it's a new someone you've never worked with before that's coming in totally clean. Um, but definitely if there's a, you know it's already sold a couple of places, you know there are people at like a certain level, you know that you're going to have to buy it in the room just to be in the game. And then you go decide what our appetite is. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So how about time of day? Um, did you notice a difference when you were hearing pitches in the afternoon? Were you more likely to buy stuff earlier in the day? I don't, I would love to say to you, yes, that I'm sure there's some truth to that. Like that by the time it's six o'clock on a Friday of a week, you know, I'm sure I'm not as, um, entertained as I was at 1030 it, on Monday. It's very human when it's the eighth one you're hearing that right. day. I think there's Friday. just a human quality to that. Um, but there's just the reality of there's only so many hours a day and you go in when you go in. So um, like I've literally had people like bring in ice cream or bring in coffee or most executives, there's some part of the afternoon where you get your like coffee fix, <laughs> whatever you need to do to kind of get you a little bit of an energy boost. Um, so I'm not going to say that it doesn't matter, but I wouldn't like freak out if you that have that time. Of, it's that it's the kiss of death. Five o'clock. I just know I... The, I just fight not to ever have those it's four hard. Or five o'clock pitches. It it's just hard. Seems like... Table reads too. Like if you get yeah. a late table read time, yeah. everyone's like nobody wants to be there. It's not ideal, but it's not the kiss of death because we're there every day hearing pitches that whole time. And look, I, it sounds like so obvious, but I do feel like we're hoping we love your pitch. You know, I think the sense on the other side is like, oh, they just say no to everything. I want to hear pitches I want to buy. Like the best part of my job is getting excited about a pitch, going to advocate for it, and seeing that show go through and be successful. 
I don't want to pack. Like, I don't want to have to call your agent and give bad news. Like, that's not fun for anybody. Um, so you're go you're going in going, I hope this is something I love because I want to be excited about my development this year. So that's the mindset. I, I think you know, it's hard to think that. You know, I, but that's generally what I can say when you go into pitch season. Like, you're going in going, all right, here's what we're looking for. It's like a year of potential. Yeah. It's what I always say to actors, you know, uh, being on the other end of that, when I'm casting people, I'm just like, I want to like you. I want, right. I want people to I'm not coming in wanting to hate no, you. No, I'm wanting to like every actor that comes in genuinely because right. that makes my job easier. But as a writer, you, it's hard to translate that. Oh, they're the execs are the same mindset. Right. They want they want to like this. Um, how about you know where it is in terms of July versus you know November the, October? Yeah, I mean obviously you 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 have a bigger budget at the beginning. So yeah, that's just easier. real. Like yeah. it's much easier to buy when your coffers are open. You're taking shots. This is a new writer. It's a little bit of a nutty idea. Let's take a flyer, especially as towards my last year. So at ABC. Um, there were so, like our budget every year, you know, got smaller and smaller and the number of scripts we could buy became less and less. So you had to be really rigorous in a way that towards the end of the year, there might've been a pitch or towards the end of the buying season that you would have probably bought in July as a flyer, but it didn't come in until October. And I only have X amount of slots left. And again, I'm going to look at what else is still coming in. I'm going to be like, oh, and I still have these big players that are showrunners coming like so it matters like that is the time of day matters but if it's good pitch you'll be fine time of year, if you yes. come in late in the season everybody's down on their budget it just is much harder okay so are there so any, get in early yeah are there other um i mean you talked about the happy endings which sami talks about but uh, are there memorable pitches that you remember was just like wow that was just like an amazing Pitch. Oh, for sure. There's always, there's tons of them. Um, what should I start with? It feels very weird. Like I'm like calling people out for being A plus. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And then other people think, are like, what about my pitch? I don't think anyone's going to, you know. They're like, nobody's listening. They're like, oh, she said um, it was so good. Nanachka Khan's like greatest American hero pitch was super funny. She and Rachna, frock bomb. Um, and it was just like a really smart, interesting take on doing greatest American hero as like a woman of color but with a really fun, like, comedic point of view. And, like, I, I genuinely remember Channing Dungey laughing so hard, like, her stomach hurt. Um, I loved the pilot, too. I thought the pilot turned it out was, great. But it just was, like, one of those pitches <laughs> yeah. where the two of them are just fun, and it was all of us going, like, wouldn't it be great to have, like, a badass, diverse, superhero yeah. woman? Um, and it was just flat out funny. So again, like smart and had something to say, but also like really, really made us laugh. Like that definitely stands out. Um, absolutely the fresh off the boat. I keep meaning notch. Um, fresh off the boat was a really goody pitch or good pitch. I remember them having video of Eddie Wang because he wasn't there. And I was just like, oh, he's like blacker than I am. Because <laughs> he's super like right. hip hop. Yeah. Um, and it was just, again, like really clear characters. She had a personal connection to that sort of a story. Definitely Kenya with Blackish, with um, Lawrence Fishburne and Anthony Anderson and Kenya telling their stories about. And that's a classic example of one that I recently was like looking back on my notes from that pitch. My notes are all over. The, like, I don't know that they pitched a pilot story. Like, I don't, but they had really specific stories about raising their kids and having done better than their parents and looking at the values they were passing on to their kids and going like how do we 
we don't see a show that's dealing with this yet from each of their perspectives that were very memorable and that I could then that was one that neither like Sami was not in it I don't think Paul was but it was competitive and so we knew we were probably gonna have to buy it in the room and deal with not deal with but figure out how high to go but our ability to go to they have a unique take on family was everything so definitely in my there's still stories I remember them telling that they haven't done episodes on yet um not in a a good way but that just stood out to me as like oh right you've never heard somebody say that yet and yet it resonated as true um so those are some of the ones that I remember and now you don't have to name names about this but are there mistakes you know we talked about reading right off the page are there other things that you saw a lot that writers do where you're just like dudes you should not be doing that in the pitch like I would say making assumptions, like assuming that people know if you're doing a format and you're adapting the format. Yes, that executive should have watched the format and should know every character you're talking about. But assuming they do and having such a shorthand that it doesn't track without having seen it is something that I would have seen people do quite a bit. Um, I gotta think about that. I'm sure there are others, but that's the first one that comes to mind. You can't, but you remember just. Some I mean, of the that were like just corny. Oh, for through. sure, corny <laughs> gags. Like as much as the idea of like dressing up like a leprechaun or I like that sort of stuff is just awkward. Visual aids in general. I mean, are there any? Because I've done pitches where I had a big cast of characters and I brought in headshots. That I think is like, helpful. Okay, but that's different from like literally somebody Becoming coming in, in like yeah. I'm just saying for me, somebody else might enjoy that. So, sorry, I don't want to ruin it. You see enough of it that you're, and then it's just like awkward. And I'm not going to call any of them out, but there's definitely been some where you just are like one of our um, junior executives at ABC had experience with one of those. And like afterwards, he just laid on the floor. He was like, that was so (laughs) awkward. Um, So, yeah, I think like dress up or like, magic tricks or I don't know anything that seems gimmicky I know again the notion of it being entertaining you sometimes want to then like gimmick it up and I think that is really tends to fall flat yeah. unfortunately um how long do you think comedy pitch should be I would say somewhere between half an hour 45 minutes okay um question you know obviously you leave some time for questions I think if it's a full hour, that's probably too long. I think if it's 30 to 45 and you're like most places, at least I know when I was at ABC, we set aside like an hour. So maybe it's less than that. But if you're assuming you'll have that much time for like small talk, 35, 45 minutes of your actual pitch and then questions, you know, I think it's probably around there. Okay. So now someone sold a pitch um, and getting into story documents and outlines at those and for those listeners who might not know a story document is just sort of a shorter outline like a two or three page people always call it's the it the worst step it's, it's the, the worst, worst step. it's the worst it's my most it's hated for sure it's horrible. it didn't used to exist i've been doing this long enough where you i knew went through a time didn't. where there wasn't this step and when it did it better. come in andrew i can't remember what year it was but it was suddenly like, like who wait, did you it want to do what and it was just called like a one pager and i was just like a one page. You know how hard it is to write a one page. We need to find out who started it. Yeah, I feel like it was CBS, but I'm not. But I'm not certain. Um, but yes, yeah, so it's a it's this weird, almost an outline, but not an right. outline kind of thing. So, 
What? I'm glad to hear that you don't, you don't even They're like horrible. that step. It's horrible, right? Um, it's horrible. No one does them well. Like, no one quite knows what a good version is. It's probably this stage people get the most tortured over. Yeah. So why? <laughs> like, why? I asked you. Why? I was like, who started this? Know, they were doing it when I started, started it. Other people have continued it. Yeah. Why do these things exist? Like, did you ever find it helpful? Did it, you know, I assume it was just trying to avoid problems at the outline stage, but I don't know that it ever really does. It does. Here would be my best guess at it. And I do think, to your point, it can be very hard to figure out how to be concise and hit the points because everybody kind of wants different points, right? Like, again, at ABC, we really want to know, like, what's your theme? What do you want to say? I don't get the sense CBS cares about that at all. I don't think Fox cares about that either. So, you know, kind of figuring out what each person wants to be emphasized in their story document is probably why that's such a pain in the neck for everybody. Um, What I do think is helpful is that if, it's kind of like an elevator pitch. Like if you can't articulate in some concise way what your episode's about, then there's a problem. Like if it's so much about the twist and turns of the plot, you know, then you're sort of like, what do you like, what are we actually doing? So the notion of, as you said, I think avoiding getting all the way to outline with something that you had a very like fundamental issue with. I think the spirit of it was to not have people spend so much time detailing things out. If at the end of the day, you don't want a story about women's lib. I don't know. I just made that up. Right. Um, So it seems like, what it should be because they do it for series too and it's the same struggle with series yeah yeah i mean there's the description i'm going to date myself by saying like the tv guide description but the description that's on your guide on you know your dvr that that's a few sentences right that seems like okay that's a step i understand because that really is um here's just the gist of what this episode is about right like they realize they don't have any couple friends and they want to make, make some couple friends or whatever you know it's just like okay i get that it's going to be this search for you know we, we need to make a new couple friend right but when you're in this like one page to three pages to four like where you're trying to explain each step right. of the story right. but not with enough space that you can really flesh it out that's where it gets tricky. it is a flawed system Andrew. <laughs> i cannot lie about that <laughs> Yeah. I cannot look you in the face and yeah. say that it is perfect. It functions perfectly. It is not and, at all. Yeah. But again, I think the spirit of it isn't going, if there's like fundamental issues with the story, to not have the writers spend so much time going down the road that you can't catch it. Right. But I do think that story document winds up tripping people up more often. Um, so yeah. Yeah, what I, I find as that. a writer is it's an enthusiasm killer. Yeah. And that's the worst thing. You just get it. worn down. You get worn down before you've actually done any of the things that right, matter. That matter. You know, you, you're just you're not getting to the fun parts of writing, and you're not getting to hear how your characters talk and and, right. and do any of that. And you're just stuck in this place, and you spend end up spending a lot of time between the studio and the network on this back Trying and forth. The story thing, and all it's right. doing is like making you doubt yourself and questions and taking away your enthusiasm. Well, Jesus, like, Andrew. No, I'm yeah, just kidding. Just, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I get it. Because I'm like the amount of times that yeah. we would be going, oh, but and I can't say to you that I'm like, oh, there's anyone that like was the prototype of yeah. it. I, I've I think sometimes every asked, show. Me examples of great ones and I read them like this is this is just not right. a literary form that is, is yeah. good. Every show kind of finds their own way with once they get into series, you know, yeah. God willing, you get there with their current execs of like how to so kind of at cut that point, through you can it. Sometimes get on the phone and say, "Hey, we're going to do a show about this." And just pitch it through, right? Um, um, but it is it's it's an imperfect. So yeah, the for sure. so the and then the outline. I mean, I know ABC. You're probably you know, like you said, you're looking for what is the show about, and you're probably also looking for the heart. 
Yes. Right? Those, those making sure. Right. So how important is it in that outline that that outline be really funny? I think for the outline, it's more important that the story tracks than it is that, again, obviously you want there to be some humor to the writing, but I wasn't as much reading the outline going, they didn't make me laugh here, as much as I was going like, does the character track, does the character arcs make sense, the act breaks work, you know, kind of the logistics of the story, more than I was looking for specific dialogue, or, you know what I mean? Because a lot of times that stuff, to your point about character and voice, is gonna come out in that. Right. Um, so look, I always think it's important to make sure that your writing is entertaining, but I don't think it needs to be like belabored with like jokes for every, you know, like I think everybody has a lot to read. Um, and again, obviously I can only speak for myself. Right. I think I was literally more looking at, does the story track, does the character arc track, Do are we hitting our act breaks? Um, than so I if it was. had all that, you're not going to get an outline and be like, and start to panic, like, oh, this script isn't going to be funny because the If it feels super dry. emotional, because again, yes, you want moments of emotion, but there have definitely been some I've read that feel just heavy, right. you know, where you're going like, okay, maybe we're taking on a subject and we're not making choices with that subject that feel like they're going to lead to comedy. It just mm-hmm. felt like a downer. So I'm not saying you don't have to be cognizant of it, but... Um, if it reads, to, if it re- yeah, I mean, it's it's finding the right balance with it. Yeah. I would say as a writer, I'm always conscious of people get you know people are you know executives are humans and they a joke the third time you've read it is not as funny as right. the first time you right. read it. So it's like oh if I put my good joke in the outline, then they're already the you know you know let alone even I sometimes it's like the first draft you just want to be able just to hold it. Oh, you guys think something. about it that way? Yeah, you know, sometimes yeah. Um, so much if you wanted to there. like go the distance but then again it's always tricky because you're like well you want them to at every stage right I mean you guys need your enthusiasm you're, you know you're, to pitch and you're enthusiastic right. right and that has to continue at the outline stage at the first draft stage um, are there times when you have to keep giving notes on something where you kind of feel like I know this is just not headed towards um, of course not Nan. <laughs> <laughs> yes and, all the time unfortunately it's a lot of, it's a business of, I mean, on the network side, especially when you're developing that many scripts, um, not everything does go the distance and not every, like some of them are great pilots and through the pilot process, you're like, oh, this isn't a series. And that was hard because you'd get into like screenings and the rest of the company's like, this is amazing. And you're like, oh, we blew our wad. Uh, like, yeah. We don't have don't, anymore. Don't have, we don't have an episode two. We don't have episode two. Um, so, yeah, again, I think there are various stages of, I've definitely worked with people who had theories about, you know, don't peak too soon. Or, I mean, every show has its own, you know, chemistry and timeline. But it is, um, yeah, sometimes you're working on something and you're just going, oh, or it's clear that the show that writer really wants to make is not the show that's going to fly at the network you're working at. Right. Um, not that it's bad, but just that it's taking a certain direction that you're like, oh, that's going to be tough. And then you have the choice of are you going to like try to wrestle them to the ground to write a show that actually they're not going to want to make if it gets picked up? Or do you let them write the thing that they really want to say and then just see how it goes? Does that make sense? Yeah. Does, in those times when writers push back on notes. Right. Um, you just talk talk about how that is from from your side of things. The other side of the phone call. Yeah. Um, 
I think it is the hardest thing for you guys as writers to figure out what to fight for because it's a collaborative process. There's a bunch of people that come into it. But at the end of the day, it's your vision and it's your show. And if you take every note, you'll be left with nothing and you're going to hate it. And when it fails, the network's not going to go, well, they took every note. No, they're just going to, your show failed. Um, So I don't ever see pushback as a like, how dare you? I have an edict. As much as um, I see it as my job to listen and, and try to understand where the writer's coming from and what their intention is. And if that intention wasn't clear, then how do we get that across? more than it is. I'm not personally a fan of like pitching a fix, like giving a very specific, why don't they write an elephant in act? You know, like, is that, I'm like, no, what's the note? Like what's not working for you or what's not clear? And then the writer hopefully should figure out their way to address it. Um, but I don't, I think it's it's a hard a- area for writers to navigate. Cause it literally, if you're, if you're, if there's a writer that takes every note, I'm nervous. That's what I would say. Cause actually then nervous. I'm going, what are you actually going to stand for? <laughs> because if you're going to take everybody's note on everything, you do not have a clear vision for your show, which again may or may not be surprising to people. But I'm like the sh- the shows that I we have that are the most successful are people that had very strong, clear opinions. It didn't mean they took every one of our notes very far from that, but we had a discussion about it and came out on the other side with an understanding of okay, here's their intention. Okay, and those are some of the best episodes. Um, so I think it's about how you push back, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, not being confrontational, not being a jerk, not being disrespectful, not being short. You know, I think just tone of voice and how you articulate it not go a long way. Right. I think people <laughs> that come into the dynamic seeing it as us versus them, it'll be a long, hard ride. And in addition to that, our jobs are to be your biggest advocate. Like right. literally the network executive's job. I know everyone sees it as like torturer of writer. My best day isn't that. Like my best day is if I'm talking to marketing and I'm talking to ad sales, I'm talking to press, I'm articulating your vision to all of the other people in the company that need to mobilize to get an audience to it. And I can only do that if you articulate it clearly. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So again, the pushback thing to me is more about getting on the same page, which means, okay, if I had a certain note that you're like, that is not my intention at all, then I need to understand better what you're trying to do. So on one end of the spectrum is the, the writer who takes every note. Right. And then... Then the one who fights just the to fight. The one who fights every, the one who doesn't yeah, that's take exhausting a too. Note, yeah, that's, nobody wants to deal with that either. So uh, yeah, so for all of us, it's finding our place finding in the middle. Finding the middle of that. ground in my first Boston comedy. Do you know Quan Fung? Did yeah, you work with Quan. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember Quan when we when I worked at Twentieth would say to some of the writers we work with like to put on like a post-it note like what is essential like what are those things that you are not willing to compromise. And know that for yourself, so that as you're going into the process with your studio, with your producer, with your network, you know, like, because there's, it's like an obstacle course (laughs) for you guys with your ideas. And there's going to be some collaboration that's going to ameliorate it, you know, that you're going to be like, oh, wow, that really elevated what I was trying to do. And then there's going to be something that you're like, that is a show, but it's not my show. And only you know that. And if you don't have that um, foundation for yourself, then it's very easy to get tossed about right. Does it, by people who have 
60 projects on their list, right? So they're coming in going, maybe this, and then they're going on to another notes call. Yeah. You're the only one who knows your show that um, intrinsically. And this is, I keep telling other people's stories, but it's such, for me a good example of, um, My Name is Earl was a show we did at 20th with Greg Garcia, and I remember they wanted him to cut Earl's mustache. Something that seems like really mundane. Not mundane, but like, okay, don't have him have a mustache. And Greg really dug his heels in because the whole point was the character was not clean cut. Like he was supposed to be like, didn't have a shit together. Yeah. Can I cuss? Is that bad? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, and as much as that may have seemed like just cut the mustache, let it go, it was like that slippery slope of if an NBC at the time was just sort of coming off of all their like pretty people, friends and Will and Grace shows. And I think they bought it and then I'm just speculating, got a little nervous of like, is this too lowbrow? Right. And like this mustache was probably the first of many cleanups to come. Mm -hmm. And I remember kind of thinking, oh, why is he finding this mustache so hard? Just cut it. And then later I'm like, no, that was the right one. Because if they were going to cave, right, he's just like another guy. And that was actually the right thing to dig your heels in on because it was an indicator of the whole ride. So that's what I meant of like those essential elements of like, no, it, was a lowbrow show like they were white trash like that was the point and if you weren't comfortable with that you shouldn't make that show yeah um so i think there's a little bit of that take it or leave it attitude that's not bad to have and again i mean that not in a um not in a disrespectful or mean way but the best scenarios are if your vision lines up with the person who buys it if it doesn't there's so many outlets now like find the buyer that wants to do that show otherwise you're going to be tortured while they try to like you think it's great to just sell your show it's worse i mean you've developed like it's worse to be somewhere where you're like they're trying to turn me into a volvo and i really want to make a corvette you'd rather go someplace that wants a corvette right because you don't know how to be the volvo you're not a volvo and you're never going to make that series you're going to be tortured the whole time yeah and i think you know when you talk about the writers take every note sometimes it's like the commerce kind of pitches you were talking about before you know it's just about well i'm just pitching because i think i can sell it and and you're in already in the mindset of i just want to please right so it could be whatever if you guys want it to be this i'll make it and then those just never end up working out no and again i'm not (laughs) saying you won't sell it right i'm not even saying it may not get shot i call them franken shows like there would be these franken shows and we'd always have a couple on our list because you know we'd had our talking points and we said we wanted x and it came in but again the ones that usually go the distance were really distinctive and had some sort of personal connection to them and had something to say more than it was like an assignment right. for um are you thinking about testing you know along these lines is that in your mind or are you you know you do this for a number of years and you learn all these lessons each season right how hard is it to just maintain a gut instinct and not be thinking like oh well we had something like that and that tested poorly so i want to try and avoid making that mistake again are these thoughts that are going through your head i'm not saying they don't come in if you like the pitch you buy it i mean you're going to have those thoughts about how you get it through the rest of the system the obstacle course that you as an executive have to make of getting through screenings and you know that stuff um but if it's a pitch that you believe in from a writer that you believe in, every you've heard a pitch of, on everything. Like there's very few things that you haven't heard some version of. I was trying to think for a minute of something that came in where I'm like, I've literally never heard that. Um, so again, it's usually about execution. So that even if you've 
done a similar type of show, um, it, it wouldn't stop you from buying it. Might it play a factor in terms of the way you develop? It should. Meaning if there's certain things you learn and you're like, there was one year, I don't know if it was my first year running the department. For some reason, we had a lot of pilots that had people die in them. I don't know why it just happened that year. And it's just one of those things, if it's a 21 minute episode, like it's really hard to come back from death in any third act first that wherever it is it's just hard and we all were like so we're just not gonna kill people in our pilots maybe it's not a hard and fast rule forever right but, just, but it's just gonna get harder to get that death through it's harder like, it, it was be, gonna be harder the yeah. next year if somebody was coming in with the cancer pitch right when we'd had like four like, shows that had, had pearl and you right no <laughs> no andrew no no it's okay um, um, so I think it plays a factor, but literally the research is a tool for what the president of the network wants to do. Right. If they want it and it's good research, then they'll emphasize it. If they want it and it's bad research, then they're going to not emphasize it. Like nothing. I have seen shows that maybe wouldn't have gone forward jump up because there was great testing. But I feel like that was more like in the 80s. Like I don't know that that happens anymore. Maybe it again. I can't speak for everyone because we definitely have had things that tested. Hmm. But if no one believed in it, we didn't do it just because of testing. Well. So so okay. Final draft has been delivered. This is the most mysterious part for writers: is what happens after when the silence descends. Yes. What's going on there? What are you doing? You've gotten all your you know you've gotten your drafts. Mm-hmm. It's time to decide which ones are going to get shot. What does that look like? I don't know what I can say without killing you, Andrew. I'm totally (laughs) kidding. (laughs) I'm totally kidding. Um, There's a lot of meetings with the team and with the president who is reading material for both comedy and drama um, and deciding what the slate's going to be. There's a lot of debate. Um... We at least sort of had, I don't know if I can say, I guess I can say, what are they going to do? You're not there anymore. Um, I know, I'm like, I don't work there, what are they going to do? We had like a board and you have magnets that like have the different shows on them and you have how many slots you have and you have how many scripts you have and you do a lot of talking and voting and sleeping on it and coming back the next day when a different, the presidents typically are reading certain things on certain days so they haven't obviously read everything we've read so you're doing a lot of meetings with them and even as a team honestly of like what are we going to advocate for you're not all on the same page are there scripts that don't even get passed along to the president not necessarily they're reading they even, read even the ones most where, where the stuff. team is kind of like this is going nowhere they read most stuff yeah because okay. you just don't know, you don't know. Okay. i mean i think especially they read most. They read a lot. Like they have, they have tough jobs. Um, and then you're having these sort of. I'm not going to say they read them all the way through. You know, right. I'm not going to say that every <laughs> if something doesn't strike for them that they finish it. I don't know. I can't speak to their process of every president, but most stuff gets to them. And then you guys are taking secret votes. Kind of, uh, what do those votes look like when you have the whole? They're team very meeting? low tech, actually. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> like I remember thinking hands. that. I remember thinking that I was like, if people saw like what actually goes on, that it's super duper low tech. Um, I mean, our department at the time, we literally had like a whiteboard and like we would put hash marks like next to shows like we'd go through and go, okay, we have three slots left. What are your three? 
and then the shows would get a, you know, maybe a vote or um, usually there was some version of that. And then you would have some version of that in the president's office. They would have read something. They would give their opinions. We talk about it. Usually, I feel like they get off on it a little bit. And I mean, I've worked for a couple of them. Not good, but I think because the team, we don't always agree. Right. So you'll have certain people that are going to advocate very hard for certain projects and others don't. Um, And then you're looking at what the needs are for if you have a certain amount of single camera family shows and you really need multicams. Do you want to do young ensembles? If you do, again, when I was at ABC, I was like, look, if we ever want to do something that's not family, we have to put something on the air that's not family or people are never going to sell it to us. And how do we do that if we do one pilot a year and then don't pick it up? So we'd have a lot of those conversations of like, how many slots do we want to do for um, like ensembles or multicams and how many for single for family? So it's, it's not just... It definitely is the things that you love, but then it becomes a bit of the alchemy of like, what do you need? So if you know that you're going to have a hole on Tuesday at 8.30 or Tuesday at 8 or what, if you know the middle is going away and you need a companion for X, how many things are you developing to fill that slot? Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's not just there's the like, do I love it? And then there's like, what are the needs? Do we know we need a certain amount of things to fill this slot because this we know this it's the last year of Modern Family is coming up, so we have to figure out what Wednesday night's going to look like without Modern Family for the first time. Um, so those sorts of questions, like we literally had boxes in our development report that were genres, so that as you're buying, again, you're not just sort of buying like a candy store of like let's get one of everything. Throughout the season, you're looking, going, okay, we have a lot of couples without kids but we don't have any rom-coms i'm making this up like yeah. whatever the specific genres are so again throughout the season you're trying to make sure you have options throughout your development so that when the president's looking if they look up and go i feel like my first year with paul maybe we did don't trust the be in apartment 23 and that was the year that um two broke girls came out as a spec and we tried to get it, we didn't get it, and Paul was like, I want something young and edgy. And we just didn't have it. Hmm. Um, and Apartment 23 had been developed at 20th for Fox, but a couple of our execs used to work, you know, like they remembered it as a spec and dug it up. And so we did a sort of like, oh, Sami used to call them fire drills. A fire drill, because all of a sudden he was like, I want something young and female and edgy, and like we hadn't been developing for that. So we shot that as a spec script that turned that went on to become a series. So, so it had been bought. Was it written on spec, or was that had been bought and it was passed developed. on the year before it was developed? So it I'm was not actually sure when it was actually it was developed at for twentieth at twentieth for Fox at some point. I don't know if it was one year, two year. I'm not sure exactly when. Um, so that's just one of those things that yeah, as a writer, it's just like um, we're imagining these kinds of things are happening. But suddenly. It's there's a whole female, form. you know, young female ensemble, right. kind of raunchy, you know, and it's just like you, you, you just luck out that at that moment. Yeah, I think 20th got a script. call going, hey, we want that script Nanachka wrote. Right. <laughs> Can you get that out of Fox for us? Um, there was a couple years that that happened. I think we did one thing called Lost and Found. That was a Warner Brothers spec. Um, so there definitely would be, again, once your scripts have come in, if you're seeing you're missing things, 
Right. Maybe you bought certain yeah, things that didn't pan out. So and there's always that question of like, when do you send a spec that, script out? Yeah. Um, there's that window where you're kind of going, oh, we thought these were going to be great. Doesn't look like they're going to go the distance, but we really need it so for we, X slot. And, you know, there's definitely windows for that. So the, because uh, I was going to ask about specs, but it seems like that the timing of when all the scripts that have been developed are coming in is a good time to drop a spec. It is, it is in terms of that's when the the opening is. It's hard because the execs are reading so much, right? And then they're getting so many specs. But that's the time when you know, like when you've at least seen a draft of almost everything. It's like after Christmas, and you have some sense of you know what's coming in looking good or not. You'll you'll have a sense of like, oh, I'm gonna have major needs, or I'm really covered. You always have some needs. We definitely almost. Most years, maybe not the years I ran the department, but I remember we shot a pilot um, that was a pitch we had tried to buy and didn't get. And then when it came to pickup time, Warner Brothers came to us because it didn't go forward where they sold it and we still wanted it. It still fit our needs and we wound up shot shooting. It was called The Smart One with like Mullen Ackerman and mm-hmm. Portia Rossi. But um, again, that was one that was something we tried to buy, didn't get, got developed, I think, at NBC. And they brought it back to us when NBC didn't shoot it, and we shot it. And so they had they had made a deal where it was possible for that to happen. Right, like it could be extracted right. from the place. Right, I feel like most places now try to build in some system. sort of, especially for very competitive pitches, yeah. sure. some sort it's of an early out. You get those, right, you know, it's harder to get it if you're not competitive. Notice. Yeah. Um, which brings me to the the question I get asked all the time about Dead Pilot Society is, hey, have any of these scripts that you've done been resurrected has it have anyone you know which has right. not happened yet yet um and i always think because you know in the 40 or so pilots we've done from all these great writers there's a lot of good material right. i always think there's a taint on things when they've been passed on and they haven't um you know th- that they haven't gone that it's hard to overcome that thinking, oh, well, wasn't, you know, that network passed, so there, there must be a problem with that show. I mean, what's your, do you think that's not true? I just cited, like, two things that were passed on that we actually, I mean, honestly, <laughs> I, I joke a little bit with um, Melvin Marr, another great producer. I feel like I'm getting shout outs, <laughs> but because... Um, there's several things that he developed for Fox that they, I mean, the Goldbergs originally was developed at Fox and then we developed, or ABC developed it and it did really well for us. Speechless was originally developed for Fox and then we, so I don't, so, I don't personally feel that way. So I'm not saying other people don't. I think it's more about the specifics. I mean, by the way, bless this mess. There's another example, Melvin Marr, but you know, who was initially developed and shot for Fox and is on ABC and is having a second season. Yeah. Um, so again, I can't speak for everyone, obviously, but I think it really for us was much more about is it on brand? And again, something like I can say, bless this mess, which even though they bought it after I left, we had wanted to work with Lake Bell. She chose to go work with Liz Merriweather at 20th which we get, but just to what I was saying earlier about how you're tracking and looking for people you want to work with, right. it was somebody that we had just called and done, gen- like said, will she do a general? And we feel like she feels right for our brand. And when she's ready, let us know. 
Um, and then she went to 20th, which of course was going to land at Fox. That idea was always probably a better ABC show than it was like a Fox Sunday night show. Um, but that being said, so there was always a part of me and Melvin would always joke and say like, hey, when Fox doesn't pick it up, we're bringing it over. And they did. And it got on the air. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's, I think it's more about is it on brand for you? And I think especially at, for the networks, our comedy brands are pretty distinctive. Um, you know what I mean? Like there's not, like I wouldn't look at something like, oh, it wasn't right for CBS, it wouldn't be right for us. I'm like, no, our stuff is, we probably have more heart than Fox and CBS. That's not really their thing. You know, so I, just because it didn't work for them doesn't mean it doesn't hit what the targets are for that particular network. Yeah. So it just means that all the pilots we've done here at Dead Pilot Society must just No, suck. it doesn't mean that. I don't know who's listening. Are the buyers listening to know that know. they should do it? I don't it? know. They should be. That's what you should do. You need to do like a buyer's uh, roundtable yeah. to listen to them. They're, they're all out there. So we talk a lot when we interview the writers about the phone call, you know, the bad, oh. the, you know, how are, and we'll, we'll wrap up with, uh, with a downer. With a down, no. Come on, Andrew. <laughs> those must be tough, right? You must, you know, making it's those horrible. calls. It's horrible, right? It's horrible. And what are you, you trying to kind of like get off the phone as quickly as possible? I don't, I block it out. No, it's really, you definitely try to enjoy the good calls. Because there's less of those than the bad ones, right? Yeah. So, like, when you get to make the good calls, it's why you get that call and there's, like, 50 people on the phone. You're like, why is everybody... Yeah, you're like, why is everybody here? Like, because everybody wants... There's, like... Right. It's such a small percentage of the other calls. It's the bad call. Right. So, that is a reason those are such, like... You're like, why did everyone have to do that? Because everyone's like, I want to be a part of good news. Um, Yeah, it's... Except we as executives, you buy the projects with all potential. Like you don't buy projects going, oh, this isn't going to go the distance. What a, to waste anyone's time. So the intention is to go, this could be one that becomes the next Friends or Seinfeld or, you know, timeless hit. Um, and for that individual writer, you know, this has been the last, you know, eight or so months of their life. And that even though we're going to go make some pilots, they're not. Yeah. And that's hard like there's no easy way around that there's no way that's not um tough or that's I, I can't think of a single person that's flipping about that when you are getting on the phone with somebody that you know has put their like blood sweat and tears into this story and like bent over backwards trying to do that story document <laughs> or do those last minute rewrites that come in at the last minute before you're getting it to the president um so i i don't know that i have I don't even want to say an answer. It's just hard. And you just kind of go in that day. And to your point, the studio usually makes the first call, which I don't know how they do. I usually talk to a studio person. I'm like, I haven't had to do it on that side. Um, So by the time we call, like they already know. Um, And it's just hard. I for sure have cried. I'm sure there's a couple of people I cried on their call. Like it was maybe not that the most, not maybe, it was not the most professional thing, but. I'm sure there are ones that you loved that. Yeah, there's ones you loved and writers that you know, like did their best and it wasn't about them. It just was not the thing we needed that year. Or like I said, when it got down to those last two slots, we didn't even get into stuff about ownership or how many from what agency you know like there's so many factors that come into play and like the ownership thing is real yeah there's a real every year gets incredibly 
um, more and more complicated in terms of how many things you can actually pick up from outside studios versus things that you own. So there's all sorts of politics that come into play. It's my friends that are actors, I say the same thing to them. I'm like, it is crazy. I've been in sessions where people were hands down the best and that person might just go, I don't like blondes. <laughs> like, what do you do yeah. with that? Um, so it's, again, especially with comedy, which is so subjective. If my boss just didn't get it, I can't argue with that. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I can't really defend it. I feel like with dramas, you can kind of go, I'm going to make this storyline more sticky. Or I'm going to, if they're just like, it didn't make me laugh. That's kind of a conversation ender. It's kind of ends <laughs> it. Um, that's what I meant about, you know, if, if they didn't even finish it because they just didn't. Yeah, yeah. They're like, I got 50 other scripts to read and I couldn't even, you're like, I can't convince them to make it. So it's hard. Um, and I, you know. Is the worst part of the job? It's close to the worst part. What's the worst part? The budget. Ugh. I'm not a numbers person. I'm just kidding. So, right, <laughs> I want to deal end, with that stuff. I want to end on a downer. Let's, what's your favorite part of doing this? You've done it, you know, different sides, studio network. Now you're, you know, you've been uh, Netflix. Right. That side you're, what's, what do you continue to love about doing this? Um, easily working with writers. I mean, the best part of it is when a writer or talent comes in and has an idea that you think is amazing and that you get to work on. And like one of the most fun things is like going to set and being like, oh my God, remember when this was just like that little idea that you had, then we were just like sitting in the office and like, look at all the people <laughs> that now have jobs and are getting paid to make that story come to life is the best part of our job. I mean, that is, I don't use the word like being an advocate, not like being advocating for, you know, human rights. Like there's much, there our world is messy and there's a lot of stuff going on. But I do think when people come in with a very specific vision and being able to be a part of marshalling a whole system to get behind that vision. And then when you're like, oh right, the world is responding to that. That's the best part of your job. Like giving notes, nobody likes doing that. Like I will highly doubt that you're gonna talk to any executive, well maybe somebody does, who wants to like get on the phone and like torture a writer. Um, the best part is when you get to be like, this was amazing. When you can go to your boss's office and say, we heard the best pitch today, or the cut came in and your boss is like, this is great, obviously we have to make this, and gets it. Um, those are the best parts of your job. Or, and I say that freaking, we're in comedy, so whether that's talent too, or, mm -hmm. you know, like I was in Montreal recently, and I just remember years ago seeing people like Jermaine Fowler and Little Rat, like seeing them there and being like, oh, there's something there. And then seeing where their careers have gone, and you're like, right, like that's yeah. that's the best part of your job is being able to go, even if the show they developed for me wasn't the one that got them there, we were a step in their journey of finding their voice, finding their next opportunity, and I think that for me is why why we do the jobs. It's to help you, like believe it or not. <laughs> no, I'm serious because I know it's not. I'm like, no, seriously, that is. That's the part that everybody looks for and enjoys. I thank people like Kenya and Nanachka, Melvin all the time because I'm like, if I didn't have those projects to champion, I don't know like what I would, you know, like what are you gonna, just sitting there giving notes all day? No, you do it because it makes you laugh. 
like when you're sitting there and I'm like, there's certain episodes that I can watch over and over again. And yes, I read the outline and yes, I read the script, but it doesn't matter because it still makes me laugh. That's the best part of the job. Yeah. That's a good note to end on. Better than the past Better calls. Than the, the, we won't go the back tragic to that. Past calls. Jamila, this was so great. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks for having for, me. For, for doing this. It was a pleasure. Bye. Listen, I'm a hotshot Hollywood movie producer. You have until I finish my glass of kombucha to pitch me your idea. Go. All right. It's called Who Shot Ya? A movie podcast that isn't just a bunch of straight white dudes. I'm Ify Whiteway, the new host of the show and a certified BBN. BBN? Buff black nerd. I'm Alonzo Duraldi, an elderly gay and legit film critic who wrote a book on Christmas movies. I'm Drea Clark, a loud white lady from Minnesota. Each week, we talk about a new movie in theaters and all the important issues going on in the film It's like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner meets Cruising. And if it helps seal the deal, I can flex my muscles while we record each episode. I'm sorry, this is a podcast? I'm a movie producer. How did you get in here? Iffy, quick, start flexing. Bicep, lats, chest. Who shot you? Dropping every Friday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. And that is it for our very special episode Uh, This show is produced by myself and Ben Blacker and our associate producer, Noah Findling. I want to really thank Jamila Hunter for making the time to talk to me. The best ways to support this podcast are to subscribe, to leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts, and to to tell a friend. Come on, you probably have at least one friend who would like this podcast, right? So tell them. Also, you should really follow us on all those evil social media outlets, Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod and Instagram and Facebook at Dead Pilot Society. That way you'll find out about all of our live shows. We've got one coming up September 14th, but it is sold out. Uh, We will have another one in December. Until next time, I am your host, Andrew Reich. Thank you for listening.